Thank you for coming out today. Um, and it's really nice to see you, nice to be here, nice to be invited. Thank you, Sarah, for inviting me. We've been planning this for a few months. And uh, I came, as you know, I came from Owensboro, um, the middle school of T. Burns Middle School today, and we just had a blast. We had such a good time. Um, I had such a good time talking to all the kids there um, about my book and about what inspired it. And I got a lot of really good questions and good opinions and comments about it, so it was really a treat to be there. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about my journey as a writer, and then I'm going to talk about my book, my published novel, Saving Wonder, and what inspired it. I'm going to do a little reading of it, and um, then afterwards you are welcome to ask any questions that you want or make any comments that you'd like. I'd love to hear from you. So welcome. Um, I uh, have been a writer most of my adult life. I made a living at it. I wrote uh, articles for magazines and newspapers. I wrote scripts for film and video productions. And I did a lot of writing. Um, like I said, I, I made a life from it, a career. But the one thing that I didn't, I wasn't able to do for a long time, but really wanted was to write a novel and to have it published by a major New York City publisher. But I had a problem. I didn't know the first thing about how to write a novel. And I remember one evening, I love reading in bed before I go to sleep. And I was reading this novel, beautiful novel, called Ahab's Wife by Sina Jeter Naslin. And I was just stunned by her writing. And I thought to myself, as I'm looking at this book, how does anyone ever do this? Have you ever opened up a book and really enjoyed it and wondered how somebody actually writes a book? It just seemed beyond me, even though I knew how to write and I was a pretty good writer. So what do we do when we don't know how to do something? Research. Ideas, you research. Um, also, you might go back to school or go to school for it. So I went back to school to learn how to write a novel in Louisville, as a matter of fact. And, uh, and I learned, and I started this novel, Saving Wonder, while I was there. And um, I graduated in 2013, and it was picked up in 2015, actually 2014, and then published in just this February. So um, I couldn't be more excited. A lot of exciting things have happened to me this year as a result of it. Um, and one of the great things that has happened is that um, it's gotten really good reviews. Yay! And, uh, and even some that came out before the book was published. And then another thing I've gotten to do is to go around to schools all over Kentucky and some in Ohio. And next year I'll be going to West Virginia and St. Louis and who knows where else. But to do school visits and talk to kids about writing and about the power of words to create a good life for ourselves. So that's been really fun. And then, um, and then today, um, actually uh, about three months ago, I found out that uh, F.T. Burns Middle School chose Saving Wonder for their one school, one book read, which means that over 900 kids read, have read the book at the same time. So that was thrilling for me, a really big honor. And then I have a four and a half year old grandson named Milo, 
This is another big event. This is a Scholastic event. Scholastic is my publisher. And uh, I got to introduce Milo to Clifford the Big Red Dog. So that was a really big deal for him and for me too. And here is Milo selling my book <laughs> with all of his adorableness. So there have been those small pleasures as well. So it's been great. It's been a dream come true and a really exciting time for me. So talking a little bit about what inspired Saving Wonder. So there are three different things I wanted to share with you today. So let's see, this was about seven years ago. Or yeah, about seven. I, um, I was in school and learning how to write and I was doing research for my first novel that I wrote. And I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, looking uh, at this park, it was Eden Park. And uh, because that was going to be a scene in the novel, and I discovered this beautiful gazebo that had been in the park for over a hundred years. And as you can see, there's a stone wall as a foundation, and people over the decades have carved their initials and their love for each other and all of that in that stone wall. And so I was looking at those engravings, and I came upon this one. And you probably can't see this real well, but we could pass it around. Um, it says, I love Curly Hines. Well, Curly Hines happens to be the main character, the protagonist in my novel um, now, but at the time I didn't know him. So when I read this, I love Curly Hines, all of a sudden I knew that boy. I knew that he was 12 or 13 years old. I knew that he was tall and thin, that he lived in Eastern Kentucky in the mountains that he lived with his grandfather. I heard his voice, which is really an amazing thing for a writer because you really work on knowing your character's voice, voices. And so to hear his voice, and he started to tell me his story. And what I like to say is that Curly haunted me for about a couple of years, kind of saying, you know, my turn, my turn, tell my story, until I finally got around to it and started to tell his story. So Curly, Times, my character introduced himself to me. So that was one inspiration. Another one is, there's, so let me tell you a little bit about my book and what it's about. So it's set in the Appalachian Mountains um, in a fictional place called Wonder Gap, Kentucky. And Curly <coughs> lives with his grandfather, his papa. Um, and he lives with his grandfather. His grandfather is raising him because he's lost both his mother and his father and even his little brother to coal mining accidents in one way or another. So he's really had a kind of a tough life and he's ended up living with his grandfather, who's a very special kind of guy. And so um, his grandfather gives him a word a week to learn and to live with the idea that if he grows his vocabulary eventually as he gets further along in school and graduates that he'll get out of the holler to kind of get him on with his life. But Curly has absolutely no intention of leaving because he absolutely loves his home and he loves his mountain. So um, let me read you just the first paragraph of the book because this sets up that idea of Papa giving him a word a week, and it really sets up the whole structure to the book. So instead of numbers, 
my book uh, headings, the chapter headings, are letters because the letter stands for the first letter of the word that Papa has given him for that week. So it starts with C. Ever since I can remember, Papa's been giving me words. Every week, a new word beginning with A and running through the alphabet twice a year. It's a perfect system, or so Papa says. It's as if the calendar folks and the alphabet folks planned it that way. He gives me the word on a Sunday, and I'm supposed to use it every day of the week. Some words I take a shine to more than others. Lackadaisical is one of my favorites. I like the way it rolls off my tongue. So um, I like to ask the mathematicians in the group, anybody who likes math in here? Anybody at all? Okay, well this is pretty simple math. So he says it's as if the calendar folks and the alphabet folks plan it that way. So why is it a perfect system that it's a word a week and it goes through the alphabet twice a year? Because there's 52 weeks in a year, or all in all, and 26 yeah. times 2 is 52. You got it. So 52 weeks in a year and 26 letters goes into 52 twice. It's a perfect system. Isn't that cool? I actually didn't go into writing this book knowing that until I actually stopped to think about it. So it's fun what comes up when you're writing. You know, it's, it's not, a lot of it isn't or doesn't seem to be intentional. So this idea of giving um, Curly a word a week actually was inspired by my own grandfather. So my own grandfather, I didn't know, but I heard stories about him. He was my mother's dad. And he's a really interesting guy. He, um, he only had an eighth grade education, and, but he believed in learning, and he believed in the power of words to create the life he wanted. So he read the dictionary. He was just really wanting to expand his vocabulary, and he taught himself everything that he needed to know. And he became a very, very successful businessman in Cincinnati as a result of that. So he believed in the power of words to create the life that we want. And so at dinner, every night, he had four daughters, one was my mother. At dinner, he would give his daughters a word to learn and then invited them to use it during the dinner and for the rest of the evening. So this idea of a word a week and the idea of the power of words to create our lives came from my grandfather. So the inspiration from Papa was, was my grandfather. So that's the second source of inspiration. And then the third source came when my husband and I moved from the Pacific Northwest. So we lived in the Seattle area, actually north of Seattle, on a really cool island called Whitby Island. It was really beautiful there, very lush, verdant, um, and uh, lots of water, ocean, lakes, and mountains. And so, um, we fell in love with our mountains, of course. This, this is a picture of the Cascade Mountain Range. Absolutely beautiful. And so when we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, <clears throat> excuse me, we did that to move closer to my son, who had settled down there. We decided that we wanted to fall in love with the mountains that were here. So those are the beautiful Appalachian Mountains, right? So <clears throat> I heard about, um, this elk tour that the State Park in Prestonsburg was giving, and this was in February, so it was in winter. 
and it would take us up into the mountains. So we decided to take this Alp tour. Well, if you've read the book, which one of you here has, in fact, you can put it, you show them the cover of that, Saving Wonder, yeah? And there you go, you too, awesome, great, it's good to have you here. So if you've read the book, you know that there's an Alp tour in there. Have you read the book yet? Yes. Yes. So you know that there's an Alp tour, and you get on, we, the, um, the characters get on this kind of rickety bus, and they go up into the mountains. Well, our Alp tour was exactly that way. This was part of that inspiration. And we went up, up, up into the mountains. About 45 minutes, we got onto the bus like at 6.30 in the morning. It was incredibly painful for me because I'm a... Um, a late night kind of person and so we're gonna see our mountains and they took us up into the mountains and landed us on top of this this is what it looked like so this is a mountaintop removal site and the reason why we were there to see elk was because the elk like to eat the fresh grass and shrubs of reclaimed mining sites. So part of this site had been reclaimed. And it's actually, I have to do the quote thing because I really couldn't tell the difference between the mining site, the active mining site, and the reclaimed site. But elk really love to uh, munch on the new shrubs in that. So they wind up coming to these uh, mining sites to, uh, to nibble and uh, so that's why we were there to see the elk but we landed on th at, at this and we were absolutely totally shocked because um nobody would have ever dared to do this to any of the mountains that we knew where we came from and we didn't even know that they did this to mountains and so this is a mining process called mountaintop removal and um, and i talked about it a little bit today at the school, let me see, oh, here. So the process starts with, um, they clear the land of all the trees. So they cut down or they torch the trees. Often they burn the trees because that is more efficient for them. And I like to ask, what, what do you think happens to the wildlife when they do that? They lose their habitats. They lose their habitats. And so, and, and what do you think? Right, so they, they most likely, some of them probably get trapped and die, but some of them are probably migrate to other parts of the forest. But nevertheless, once they do this, and once they do this, there's nothing living, there's nothing living on this site. So my husband and I were pretty devastated by seeing this, um, realizing that all that life was gone. And so um, at that point, as a writer, you know, my impulse was to write about it. I wanted to somehow express what I was feeling. It was a really big feeling. And I thought about, um, I love writing poetry, and I thought about writing a poem, but the poem didn't seem big enough. And I thought about writing a letter to the editor, but I, you know, that goes in the paper one day and it goes away. And so that didn't seem right. So meanwhile, um, I started researching, I started reading books, I started watching documentaries, I started looking online and looking at all sides of the mining issue um, because I was really concerned about it. And I became, I, I, 
I came to the understanding that it's a complex issue in Kentucky, right? Um, it's not an easy one to solve because on one hand, as I said today, it devastates the landscape and the environment. But on the other hand, <coughs> excuse me, um, it puts food on the table. I mean, people, it gives people jobs, mining jobs. And this is something, sometimes the only job that these people have ever known. So it puts food on their tables and it also, you know, helps heat our homes and provide us with electricity, you know? So, so it's what I call a conundrum. A conundrum because it's a puzzle that you really can't figure out. It's kind of unsolvable. So anyway, I didn't know how to write about this, and it, <laughs> the more I researched, the bigger it got, right, and the more complex it got. So when Curly came to visit me, and I started thinking about what kind of story I could write about Curly, well, he was telling me that his main issue is this, this mountain. So a, um, a new coal boss moves into town and threatens to blow the top off of their mountain through that mining process. And so Curly has to figure out the way to use the words that his papa's been giving him to save his mountain. So that's the central story, the central plot line of the of the book. And um, and it's you know it's a com it's complex and there's a lot of other things that go on, right? I mean there's friendships and relationships and a little bit of a romance kind of sort of that goes on in there. And uh, so there's a lot of really cool stuff that goes on. But that, so that um, Elk Tour was the third uh, inspiration. And so my grandfather gave me the inspiration for Papa. The word a week structure actually gave me the structure for my novel because every chapter then became a word, right? And Curly, of course, gave me the protagonist and he was the one whispering in my ear. And then mountaintop removal, this, this subject matter that I wanted to explore and write about, gave me the conflict, the major conflict, which is an important part of a book. If you don't have conflict, nothing really happens. It's not a very interesting story. So you need conflict in order for the characters to um, overcome obstacles and to learn and to grow and to change. By the end of the novel, that's what a story does. So I had all of those elements um, that I needed to write my story from that inspiration. Any questions so far have come up for you as I've been sharing with you? And it hit, are you from Owensboro by any chance? Are you? I mean, um, the gentleman here. Are you? What school are you from? I'm sorry. I'm from Owensboro Catholic. Oh, great. Okay. So I was at F.T. Burns today and tomorrow, so I was wondering if you went to school there. But it's great to see you. His Thanks. mom works there. This mom <laughs> right here. mom works at Burns Middle. Oh, neat, <laughs> neat. Well, thank you for the work that you do. Are you a teacher? Yes. Yeah, that's great. So how did you find out about Saving Wonder? Um, first off. Um, <laughs> it's a story, I can tell. First off, I needed the book to read and one of my friends had it, so I read like a little bit of it. And I had to give it back. And ah. then my mom had three book selections for the book we were going to read, and of course we had my brother with the test subjects. And we eventually picked out this book too. Excellent. So, um, 
So you picked it up. So we're being podcast, and I would love to. Would you mind coming up and just speaking into the mic so that it gets recorded? Is that would that bother you? No. Okay. Yeah, come on up. So, because I can I interview you? Sure. Okay, great. So I'm going to interview you. Okay. So um, tell me your name again. Carter Osborne. Okay, Carter. It's really great. To, and what grade are you in? Uh, seventh grade. Okay, perfect. So here, hold the mic. And so tell me again, um, so how did you come to, to know Saving Wonder? A friend of yours had it? A friend of mine had it, and he had a spare book to read, and, oh. so, I, and so I borrowed it, read a few chapters, and I enjoyed it. Okay. And then my mom gave it, gave it to me to read as a test of books for the book they were wanting to read for the year. Ah, okay, okay. So uh, what drew you to choose this particular one? Why did, what attracted you to the book? Well, it was a, a lot better than the two <laughs> other books. Well, cool. for, for that, yeah. And it also had a great message in it. Oh, okay. So how did you know about the message? How did you figure that out before you read it? Or was it from the first few chapters? It was mostly from the first few chapters. Gosh. And what do you think the message is of Saving Wonder? That you can make a big impact by doing small things. Isn't that wonderful? Oh my gosh, this is why I love what I do. Because I get to hear from people your age to tell me what my book means. Because sometimes, you know, I see it in a different way, but I mean, that's absolutely true. You know, it takes little things, and actually little things lead up to big things, right? Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for sharing. Good job. You're a star. <laughs> So, any other questions or anything before I read something from the book? Actually, so the two of you who have read the book, would you do you have a request of a scene? What is one of your favorite? Have you read the whole book? Okay. What do you have a request for a favorite scene? Or what are some of your favorite scenes? Do you know what I mean by a scene? So, okay. I have to say that my one of my favorite scenes. Is when Curly steal all the <laughs> a dream catcher he made for Jules just okay. because it adds to his character. Oh, I love that. What it adds in writer lingo is it adds a flaw to his character. And flawed characters are really interesting, right? Yeah, we don't want our characters to be perfect. So Curly is flawed, and this is a really dear friendship that they have, isn't it? They've known each other since they were babies. And now Curly's just turned 12, and he's starting to have different kinds of feelings for Jules, and he doesn't quite understand them, because he's feeling a little romantic towards her, right? Sort of, kind of, maybe, yes. Anyway. So yeah, so so okay, so you like that scene. That's one I that's that's interesting. Okay, how about you? Well, I don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> Somebody said that they like the ending, which I absolutely, I love my ending, I have to say, if I do say so myself, but I'm not gonna read the ending because that would be a spoiler, wouldn't it? So, um, so the chapter that, that Curly steals, can you find the page number for me? It's K. It's K, I know K because I know the word. Uh, oh, there it is. OK. 
Okay, okay, so let me see how long this is. Well, I'm going to start reading it and I'll just kind of jump around and maybe explain some of it. So this is K. And what's kind of fun about the book is that you don't necessarily know the word right away. You know, it's kind of part of the mystery. And so did you try to guess what the word was sometimes when you were reading? Because it doesn't come out right away. Or did you look to the end of the chapter? Like sometimes you know, you know, the <laughs> I just guess like, I wonder what the word's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm. So sometimes we sneak a peek. But anyway, here we go. For the last four days, Jules and I have been walking to and from the bus stop together, just like in the old days before JD. I've got to explain a little. JD is the coal boss's son and a new kid in school. He's kind of a bad boy kind of a kid. And he comes in and Jules starts to like him. And so Curly's really jealous of JD and JD's kind of ruining everything. So, um, and he hasn't, Curly hasn't been seeing Jules as much. So he's really happy to have this time with her. So it's just like in the good days before JD. Usually I tell Jules the word for the week or she'll ask and we'll try to use it at least once on the way to school or on the way home. But this week, for some reason, I can't bring myself to tell her what it is. It feels like a secret before the thing that makes it a secret has had a chance to happen. Crazy, huh? All I know is that I've been fixating two years ago, February, that was the word, on this dream catcher keychain I made for her in third grade that's clipped to a buckle on her school bag. At the time, I thought it was a sissy thing for a boy to be making, so all the materials I picked out, pipe cleaners, feathers, and beads, were black. I had in mind a dream catcher for a ninja warrior, which at the time I wanted to be. If you don't want it, I'll take it, Jewel said after our class that day. Sure, here, I said, and the gift was made. I told her it would protect her against evil spirits, a stupid childish fantasy that's obviously not working. He's referring to JD there. Spring is coming to the mountain in spurts. Today is chilly after a couple of days of spitting cold rain. Jules and I slog our way home along the creek bed, trying to avoid crushing the clusters of bloodroot blossoms poking out here and there, like tiny white asterisks among all the dead leaves. When I was a little boy, I used to get terrible sore throats. Ma would use bloodroot to make a powerful medicine mixing the bitter red juice of its roots with maple sugar to hide the taste, which it never quite did. She always looked so worried about me, though, so I kept the bad taste to myself. J.D. tells me your part of our elk project is really coming along. Jill's voice sounds like a little girl's as it breaks the silence between us. Since the elk tour, Jules and I have managed to keep J.D. out of our conversations. It's as if we were both pretending he didn't exist, which suited me just fine. So I have to wonder why she's bringing him up now. I decide to take the high road. Yeah, he was a big help with the video I'm making, I say, this matter of factly. So blessings to whatever's happening down the road there. So, um, 
Yeah, he was a big help with the video I'm making. I say this matter of factly, like JD and I are buds, like I didn't almost kill him last Sunday afternoon. Oh, he told me he wasn't so sure. Something about you getting your underwear all bunched in a wad. She stops to shift her pack to the other shoulder and examines me like she's trying to read my face and probably my mind. Something she's usually pretty good at. Oh, really? I noticed the dream catcher swinging from its chain. He was the one who got himself all in a tizzy, talking about his old man taking him away from his brothers up north, like he wishes he'd never come here. It doesn't feel good telling on anybody like this, even J.D., but gosh darn it, he started it. He said that? She looks at me as if she doesn't believe me, and that really ticks me off. Yeah, he even said he doesn't have a social life down here in Hicksville. So they go on that way a little bit, and it's been a while since I've, since I've read this. Okay, so they're chatting about JD, which is a, obviously a sore spot between them. And so she says, hey, Curly, would you hold my bag? I've got to pee. She shoves her pack at me without waiting for an answer and chomps off into the woods behind a tree. I look at the dream catcher, pretty ratty after all these years, but still intact. And I wonder if she'd miss it. Well, I guess we'll just have to see. Without a second thought, I unclip it from the buckle and stash it in the front pocket of my jacket. I squelch the guilt that's rising in my throat like bile, telling myself that the dream catcher is mine anyway. I made it, I gave it, and I can take it back. How's that for a flaw? <laughs> So, um, so besides those who know what the word is, can you guess what the K word might be if it's about somebody who's stealing something? Any of the adults? Kleptomaniac? Yes, very good. You get the prize. Kleptomaniac was his word. And I think it's really interesting how he talks about at the beginning how this was his word and it made him uncomfortable. It was almost as if the word was kind of suggesting or giving him that suggestion of maybe taking this dream catcher from her. Why do you suppose he takes that dream catcher from her? Yes. Because if to see if he if she still was like her friend or if she liked JD more would notice. Okay, so so he was testing her to see if she noticed that it was gone, right? So it's kind of like testing their friendship. Did it test their friendship? Yes, indeed, it did. Because <laughs> when she realizes that it's gone, she's really upset, isn't she? And she tells him, she's, she's honest, she says, I lost it and I'm so sorry. And so then that puts him in a position of, oh my gosh, can I tell her the truth? He's just about to tell her the truth but then he really can't quite make it. So eventually he does, but you'll have to get the book and read it to find out what really happens between the two of them is high drama, I assure you. So, um, so that's, that's it for me. Um, and I'm wide open to questions. I love the idea that you were saying that your, is it your great grandson? My great grandson. Is, that's wonderful, he's in fourth grade and he's an environmentalist, and he's yes. been that for how long? Oh, 
I don't know how long he has been an environmentalist, but he is really concerned with it now. Yes, okay, so he's really concerned with it. I'm gonna buy him the book. This is a perfect book for that. I would love to hear what he thinks of it afterwards. So if you guys wanna contact me through my website um, and grab a, a bookmark here, and on the back, my website is on there. There's a comment section. You can tell me what you thought of the book. I always love to hear from people. So any questions? Well, there's lots of different words in this book. So what was your favorite word out of all the ones that Curly learns? That's a really good question. So the question is, what was my favorite word? I love conundrum, because uh, that says so much about life. Um, and I love the word niggle. Well, it's a conundrum what they're are going after. Did you, can you see what it is? It's, no, it's been um, at least one cop car and then like at least two or three ambulances gone. Okay. It's definitely a conundrum what's going on down there. Oh, I see. So, so that's a great, that's a great observation. So, <laughs> so for those of you who listen to this podcast, we've been talking while out the window of various emergency vehicles have been going by with their lights flashing and their sirens blaring. And the conundrum is that we don't really know what's going on. It's a very good, good vocabulary. So I love the word nickel, because to me the word nickel is about, uh, nickel is something that um, nags, a thought that nags at you, and nags and nags until you pay attention to it. And I, it talks about, for me, the intuition, you know, listening to your intuition. You know, that intuition that says, pick up that book, before you leave the house, you're going to need it, and you say, no, I'm not going to need that book. And if you don't listen to it down the line about an hour, you know, from then, you're going you're gonna to realize, that, oh, I needed that, and I should have listened to that intuition voice. So that's that nickel. So I love that word. Um, and I love the word yes. So that's the last word in the book, yes. And I love how powerful the yes is and what Papa says about it. Papa says that no is a powerful word, but yes is even more powerful. And if life gives you something that you can't say yes to, because sometimes life deals us uh, some loss and some unfortunate experiences, so if you can't say yes to that, find a way within that experience, something to say yes to, which Curly does, doesn't he? And that's the end of the book. And you're going to have to read it in order to find out how that ends and what that yes is. But yes is a powerful word. That's a good, great question. Thank you for asking it. Anybody else? Which character are you most relatable to in the book? Oh, that's a good question. So which character do I most relate to? Well, there are days when I most relate to Papa. <laughs> Because, you know, I, I understand him. I understand that he's, um, he's, he's had a lot of loss himself, right? So he lost his daughter. And so, and then here he is raising a grandson. He had no, you know, thought that that's what he was going to do. And, um, and he does it the very best he can. But he's older and he has heart issues. And so it's kind of tough. But, um, but Papa's such a good man. And he is such a loving father, really, to Curly. 
and he has a lot of wise and wonderful things to say about words and about life. Um, there's some, oh, here's one that I really like that Papa says is, sometimes it takes a great sadness to remind us of what really matters. So I relate to Papa in that kind of wisdom because I've lived, you know, having lived a life, I understand that wisdom. I also relate to Jules. So Jules is a cool girl. She's got a lot of spunk and she has a mind of her own. And I kind of wish that I had been more like her when I was her age. I'm more like her now that I'm older, but I would have loved to have been like Jules when I was younger. So I think that kind of determination and just liking herself just as she is and knowing her own mind and having that kind of confidence really takes you far in this world. And so I really do relate to Jules. I really like her a lot. And I'm hoping that if I write a sequel to this book that it may be Jules' story. So we'll see. Yeah. The kids like that idea. Do you like Jules? <laughs> Who do you relate to most? Honestly, I'd say a mix of all the characters. A mix of all the characters. Because I can't say I have most of the qualities of one. Because uh -huh. I have like an equal a split of all the characters. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm empathetic. Like, like Papa, other curly, but I also know like the greater good, like, like Mr. Tiverton. Yeah, so you were, you were paying attention today. So she used a great word, she said, I'm empathetic. And so we talked about empathy and the power of empathy and the ability of empathy to step into the shoes of somebody else that may be different than you and to feel what they feel and to see the world through their eyes which after all is the reading experience. That's what happens when we pick up a book, right? It's like a virtual reality that we step into. We step into the main character's shoes particularly, and we are seeing the world through his eyes. So we're getting practice in empathy. And when you're an empathetic person, you can step and, and if the writer has done her job, <laughs> I will say, then you are able to step into the shoes of every character and see something of yourself, right? So what a great observation. You really were listening today. And she brings up Mr. Tiverton, who um, is an, an antagonist in the story. And when I was younger, I thought antagonist meant like bad guy. But an antagonist isn't necessarily a bad guy or a bad girl or whatever. Um, an antagonist is one who antagonizes the main character to move that plot forward. In other words, kind of in one way or another contradicts or shakes up that character in order to create some kind of obstacle that the main character has to get around. And that's what the definition of an antagonist is. Doesn't mean that they're bad or evil. And Mr. Tiverton is not. He's the coal boss. And his thought is that he needs to mine that mountain because that's his business. And he has to employ his people and he cares about his people. So he has, you know, he has reasons, you know, for what he's doing and for the choices that he's making. And he's a nice guy, actually. I mean, he offers to keep the old deal that was going with the old company with Papa, you know, because he says, 
Cole takes care of their own. So he's a good he's he's good in a lot of ways. So empathy allows us to see the human person within every character. It's a good job. Well, that was wonderful. That helped make this podcast better. So thank you all for coming this evening and for contributing to the conversation. You've made it so much richer than it would have been if you hadn't. So thank you so much for coming. I know we were a small group, but we were mighty. Right? Give yourself an applause. Yes. Good job.